Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. A lot of us are hustling right to our own grave. Speed and hustle and hurry are the air we breathe. There's this tsunami at all of our backs pushing us called the hustle. And in truth, we like it, we glorify it, we worship it, we brag when we pull all-nighters for work and how we're overcommitted, overtired, overworked, hashtag the grind. But one quick question, how's that going for us? What if hustle isn't actually a gift, but actually a curse? The very source or center of gravity that our burnout, our exhaustion, and our loneliness are all orbiting around. Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama notes that God himself actually has a precise speed and it's not hustle. That what we find in Jesus is someone who walks three miles per hour. Yes, specifically three miles per hour. Why? Because that's the precise speed you are going when you are walking in a peaceful and loving way, a non-hurried way. Metaphorically, what if our souls actually, we could say we're going three miles per hour because love slows down and walks at three miles per hour to see things, to see people, to be human and to flourish. It's not a coincidence that Jesus was the most anchored, secure and loving presence that's ever walked the earth. And it's clear that's not an ounce of hustle or hurry in him. But here's my plea for us to at least start being honest because a lot of us, when describing our relationship with God, we like to use the euphemism that we are walking with Jesus, but in truth, we're not. In reality, we're walking ahead of Jesus. We're frantically away from Jesus. We're busy and separated from Jesus or lonely, depressed and burned out. And he's back there behind us, walking at three miles per hour, waiting and walking at a speed of love and not hustle, inviting us not only in his presence and his principles, but also into his pace, giving us not just new rules to live by, but a new cadence to dance in. I just want to give permission to all of you that you can opt out of this hustle culture. I think so many of us are slaves to it, or we think we have to, or we're gonna look lazy. Who cares? You have permission to say no. Jesus has a better way. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope that little short video sort of grabbed your attention, and as you're watching, you may wonder, okay, what is today's study about? Is it about busyness, or, or you know, hey, Pastor Tom, what are you going at? Actually, I'm going at just the opposite. Um, that little video was talked about how we busy ourselves and fill our time with stuff, hopefully, that gives us a sense of purpose. Sometimes it does, but not all stuff and not everything we do gives us that sense of purpose and a sense of worth and a lot of times when those things that, they sort of trick us, they're sort of like an anesthetic, you know, um, that you get when you go to the dentist when they're going to do some work on your teeth, they numb it so you can't feel it. Well, a lot of these busy things are just that. They're sort of social and psychological anesthetic. We busy ourselves with stuff, and the more busy we are, perhaps the less attention we are able to give to the fact that, wow, there's something missing maybe down inside. Here's what I think is cool about this whole quarantine moment. Last week I mentioned to you that if we will, instead of being caught in the chaos and craziness of the moment, you know, and how can I survive this moment? And, 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 but see, what happens then is the moment dictates our next thought and our next action. But here's the good news for us as believers, to pull back, pull away, and say, God, you made the statement that you caused somehow all things to work together for my good uh, for, for our good and our, in a sense of purpose, purpose, purpose. So how do you take this moment and draw it to a sense of purpose in me? So, but, but he does, and so here comes sort of our prayer. Father, can you help me see what you're doing with this moment, you know, this crisis, 
instead of being dictated to by the chaos of the moment, and if I will do that and ask you, Lord, show me what you're doing with this moment, that I will be prepared to live and lead beyond this moment and to live in a way that I was not living before the moment. So see, that's what I'm coming to. This little video you just watched, it ended with the phrase, but Jesus has a better way. And boy, does he do, that's just true of everything, certainly, but does Jesus have a better way? So here's my contention as we enter it. This quarantine didn't create the sense of loneliness that we're hearing about and reading about. It simply was uh, the flame, the fire, that boiled the water to a temperature so it, it has come to the surface. And so now we're in this moment saying, wow, all of these things I've busied myself with to give me a sense of purpose and a sense of worth, suddenly I can't do them. And now who am I? What am I? How, what am I about? And I, frankly, I love the fact that those questions are being answered. And can I tell you this? In this season, I'm hearing of church after church, and it's true of our tribe here at New Hope. Strangely enough, right now, we're growing as a church. I mean, just brand new faces and people are plugging in, getting connected, saying, gee, I can't wait for this is, o- to this is over to be, to be part and get to assemble and worship together. But here's the deal. I believe that other things have been stripped away, and now culture, people, us, we're forced to ask ourselves, where can I really find that sense of worth? You know, an interesting thing about loneliness and being alone in community, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Genesis 2, verse 18, you can see it right here on the screen, that you'll notice that said God finished doing all of his creation, and if you read those first two chapters, you find this recurring phrase where God said, he created this and it was good. He created this and it was good. He created this and it was good. Then you come to mankind being created. Ish Adam, the male, Adam was created before the one we later know to be Eve was created. And he says he created him and he was alone and that was not good. That was not a good thing. That was the only thing he said that wasn't good. So in a capstone moment of this incredible, beautiful worship environment, and what I mean by that, in that garden, in the Garden of Eden, mankind had access to God wasn't distracted by anything else. It was them and God, unbroken connection and encounter. Of course, chapter three tells you what happens when, when, that, is, when that is severed. But look what happens here. He says, I'm, I'm gonna fix the problem. So what does he do? He creates community, actually. He creates a help meet, um, an, an equal to walk alongside. And, and again, that one we come to know later as Eve is, is created here. And two things happen. A provision for loneliness as the capstone creation. God said, I didn't create my people to be lonely. As the provision for loneliness and being alone, community is established. And notice the second thing, that shame is banished. It said they were naked and not ashamed, totally laid bare. Can I just throw this out here and and then sort of drive away from it? If you find people who are struggling with loneliness, you will also find this fragrance of shame. In other words, they're alone because what we're going to learn is loneliness is really not something that someone else can do to you. They can try, but they can't do that. Loneliness is a self-imposed indictment of the soul. Loneliness is something we do to ourselves. So I wanted to set as a provision, and see this story doesn't just end right there, but woven throughout scripture, but I want to fast forward, if we can, to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Now we've done this, 
um, many, many months ago. But man, as I've been living in this, it's a powerful, powerful statement. Before we land there, I want to make reference to three words. I'm, as I'm sitting here and this morning sort of on the fly, deciding how and which order I'm going to present this, I, I want to bring to your attention a couple of verses of Scripture at the close of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, it, and in those two verses, it, it, at the end of another larger statement, it says, now these three things abide. Here they come, faith, hope, and love. In that same moment is made the ref, is, is reference that we, as we live in this world right now, it says we see through a glass darkly, and it's referring to the end of the age or what lies out there beyond, and it's try, trying to look through a stained glass window. We're trying to press our face up against it to look through, but I want you to know poetically or note poetically the provisions for are pressing our face against the glass, and what's next, and it's not quite clear, so how do I survive in the moment when at best I'm just looking and trying to make sense of what's next and the future that's out there? He offers these three words. He says they're essential, faith, hope, and love. Now, I want you to just hold those in your mind because they're going to pop up and sort of ambush you here. Now, if you would, look with me at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. And notice this statement, it says, let us hold fast our confession or the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see that day drawing near. Now I'm going to start in an unlikely place here this morning. Because there's an interesting word at verse 25. And for all of my New Hope family that has studied this with me before, uh, you'll note that we're, we're starting at a sort of unlikely place. I want you to notice the opening language. And I wanna give, I'm going to go ahead and sort of give away the end of this. It says, not forsaking our own assembling of ourselves together. Everybody say that word, forsake. Go ahead and say it. If you're sitting with someone, turn to, to look at them and say, forsake. This is an interesting term. And while the term loneliness doesn't appear per se in the New Testament, um, or really that, that, that phrase is, is, is sort of a, a cultural thing, the closest word we get is probably this word right here. Because this word to forsake means abandoned, left alone, deserted. I mean, it sort of colors uh, all the images that we see associated with loneliness. When we're lonely, we feel abandoned. When we're lonely, we feel deserted. When we are lonely, we feel left alone. We feel forsaken. And watch this. Interestingly enough, this is the, the same term that is used in the book of Matthew or at the, in the Gospels as Jesus, is, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, is preparing to breathe his, his last breath. He's on the cross. He's being crucified, and he cries out these famous words. My God, my God, why have you, here it comes, forsaken me? That same word, beloved, can I just go ahead and drop this right here? Here's another powerful statement of the provision of the cross of Jesus Christ and his death and that has empowered us to conquer death and overcome the things that would push against us. On the cross of Christ, can I tell you that what he brought there was, the, was every moment of loneliness and separation, abandonment that you might feel. He took that right to the cross to say, I want you to know that the cross is a provision 
for those moments that you feel lonely, forsaken, deserted, and left aside. Oh my goodness, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. That as we look to the cross of Christ, he says, listen, I want you to know that I went to the very depth of that. Whew, I gotta just stop there because I, I, I wanna get to this passage and, and outline it, but what a powerful statement. So maybe I'm speaking to the one or the two or the few this morning that says, man, you know, I didn't realize that was sort of that nagging thing at my soul, that's nagging at my heart. Uh, let's, let's, let's look at something here real quick. Go back now to verse 23. Now, you know, I'm going to go ahead and finish something I was going to hold till the end. Back to verse 25. And again, let's get that up, back up here on the screen because I want you to notice the language not forsaking our own assembling together. If, if you dig into the grammar, uh, the scholars and, uh, and commentators will tell you, pay attention to this, not forsaking our own. That, is, that means Tom. Tom taking the initiative to assemble together. Not for, he said, as some do. I can't do that. And I, wanna, I just want to cut the chase right here to say, the language here just conveys exactly the nature of the problem. It says, don't forsake, don't put your own self in the place of forsakenness or loneliness. I want to say what I said a few minutes ago, that I believe the majority, if not all, of loneliness largely is self-imposed. You say, well, wait a minute, you don't know what it's like to be rejected or to be abandoned or to be pushed aside. Uh, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I, I do think some of that I can identify with significant moments and events in life, but then again, not like many of you who are worshiping this morning and sharing in this moment, I do get that. But here's what I know, and here's the real hope we're gonna come to for followers of Christ, that in the end, no one can impose that on you. No one can impose that on you. Jesus says, I took it to the cross. I made a show of it openly. I took care of loneliness. I took care of forsakenness. And I want you to know that I can fill you up with worth from the inside out. When the busyness is stripped away and the things and the stuff and the life, you'll still be standing strong. You'll be standing still in a sense of wholeness, a sense of purpose, a sense of worth that cannot be found in my job, my checking account, my money, my text messages, social media, or any of the other stuff that so often we fill our life with. So how do we fix this sense of forsakenness? This passage of Scripture offers us the same little triad that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians. Let's see if we can dig them out from here. Back to verse 23. Let us hold fast, okay? Many months ago, uh, we taught on this passage, that, that statement, hold fast, it's a, it's a phrase that comes from an ancient navigational, uh, nautical navigational term, and it had to do with the job of the helmsman that held the ship on course, hold fast. It would hold it on course, or if it faced a storm, as you do find one instance of this in the New Testament, in the closing uh, uh, chapters of the book of Acts, a ship is being blown off course, and Paul says, he turns to the helmsman and said, hold fast in the midst of storms. What blows us off course? What is it that blows us off course and, and, and leaves us feeling like we're tossed around or forsaken? What is it that does that? I'm glad you asked. Let's see what it says right here. Hold fast, number one, the confession of hope. Here it is. Everybody say hope. See, I love the word. I love that word hope because it's not just wishful thinking or hoping uh, like the NFL draft is going on virtually right now, like everything else. And so late last night, uh, I was watching again about that and seeing it all wrap up. 
and you know, different people hoping that the draft or they'll get this person for their team. And, and I've, I've seen some things on social media and even some text message with some pastor friends celebrating, hey, my team got this guy because they're hoping for it. That's not biblical hope, beloved. Biblical hope is Hebrews, the very next chapter that says, now I wanna tell you this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of, not, of things not seen. You see, hope is that unique agency of a life of worship that so animates us and activates us that when God begins to whisper a promise in our soul, we change the course of our life to say, wait a minute, God has made a promise to me and it is that direction and I'm going that way. That is hope, beloved, not wishing, not wondering, but saying God has said it, God did it, God has led me there and I'm gonna shift my compass bearing and I'm aiming that direction. Let us hold fast our confession of hope. The word confession means to say the same thing as. And can I just be very, very direct? Who are you repeating? Whose thoughts, whose words, whose counsel? You see, right here it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And then it mentions, for he who promised is faithful. And, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. So I, I want to tell you, what, what is informing your hope? Whose confession? Who are you saying the same thing as? Who have you listened to this week that they said something to you and you go, well, well you know, so-and-so said. Beloved, can I tell you that we as believers, as the church of Jesus Christ, have this wonderful thing because if you need somebody to repeat, praise God, God has given you a document full of his words that says, repeat these, say the same thing as these. And, and get this, I don't mean just repeating words off the page and for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. To, no, I mean letting it find a place of seed in your life and heart and say, Father, I want it planted here deeply. And Lord, I'm gonna say what you're saying about my life and hope and fullness and purpose. For he who promised, here comes the next word, is faithful. <laughs> we don't have hope because we're wishing um, like they're drawing on a, a, an NFL draft or a lotto or a, gee, I hope this works out. He says, no, let me tell you where your hope is rooted. Your hope is rooted in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Your hope is rooted in one who went to the cross and said, death shouted and I faced it down and I won. You're talking to one who went through the garden of Gethsemane to revisit that place of holy anointing who walked into that garden and said, I feel lonely, I feel sorrowful, I feel grieved even to the point of death. But beloved, something happened in those many minutes and hours in that garden where our Savior rises from those moments of prayer. And Hebrews chapter two says, although he walked in grieving, that he stepped up and when he stood up after praying, Father, I don't know that I can make this on my own. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Lord, I don't know, can I make this? And suddenly he rises up. And he looks it in the face, and I love the way that Hebrews chapter 12 said it. He said, who for the joy set before him walked out of that garden and straight to the cross. We serve a Savior who has walked the path before us of every moment of loneliness. We have one who we can say the same thing that he said and who fixes our hope. Our hope is based on his faithfulness that he's already lived and the promise that is yet out in front of us. He who promised is faithful. And then he says this third thing, let us consider how to stimulate one another onto love and good deeds. There's that third word. Have you noticed it? Paul said it's faith, hope, and love. Here the writer of the Hebrews says, 
Here's what you need to survive the storm. Here's what you need to do to, to when your, your press, face is pressed up against the glass and it's really not clear. When you're in the storm and you're holding that compass bearing and you can't see the shore because the storm is blowing, he says, these are the things that will sustain you. Hope, faith, and love. And beloved, can I tell you this? What I've said so many times, that hope and faith are really up to us. They're not God's side of the equation. Let me be clear. God doesn't hope because when God speaks, thinks, or says, it happens. Go back to creation. God said and it was. God doesn't have to hope for anything. Neither does God have faith. God doesn't have faith like we have faith. God is faithful. God is hope. So here's the good news. You see, our faith can in fact become exhausted. The winds can blow and we're fighting to keep it on course and it can be worn out and it can be exhausted. Our hope can be tested and tried and stretched and beaten down. But here's the good news. The love of God that gives us ultimately that sense of place, purpose, and worth in this life, it does not originate from our side of the equation. When God says you need faith, hope, and love, he says now, faith's gonna start on your end, hope's gonna start on your end, and love, wait, love does not start on your end. You can only love because I first loved you, and I want you to know that there's no storm that can come that can move my love. He goes on further in Romans chapter eight to end that chapter explosively. He says, he says, peril, nakedness, famine, war, distress, height, depth, principalities, or power, things present or things to come. He says, I wanna let you know. And see, those are the things that test our faith and they test our hope. They, they become that, 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 can I see beyond the moment of this testing and, and this reality? But God says, faith and hope, you may struggle with that, but I want you to put your feet down firmly and stand on this fact that faith and hope does not start with you, that starts with you, but love is from my end. Nothing, nothing, woo, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I love that. Stimulate one another to, to love and good deeds. In other words, I can act on this. I'm not frozen. That's good deeds. That's, I can act. I can move. Where does all this come from? It says then, not forsaking our own assembling of ourselves together. I love this, assembling together. This is a cool word. This word comes from the same identical word that we get synagogue. And it's here that I want to sort of land and end today, this morning. I, I became curious about it a couple weeks ago and I began looking and somehow it had just caught me off guard that although the concept and the word synagogue, uh, the literal term appears, this is the, the Greek term, uh, synagos, and it looks sort of like uh, synagogue in, in, both, in both languages. But the synagogue, it was a place, you know the synagogue in today's culture as sort of like church for Jewish worshipers. I mean, that, that's the way that sort of um, uh, Christians or Protestants uh, be, begin to sort of think of a synagogue. Well, that's, that's a place where Jewish people, that's a church for Jewish people. But here's the deal. The synagogue actually in its creation happened about five or 600 years before Christ. Now, the synagogue was a building, a place, a gathering that was a real building in the time of Christ. And a place where Jewish worshipers would gather to learn the law, celebrate, worship, and pray, and to encourage one another. That was the purpose of the synagogue. But are you, did you know, I didn't, that the synagogue was actually 
uh, an institution or a place that was birthed during another pandemic, if you will. It was birthed immediately after it was. The temple was destroyed. And sort of like we've experienced for several weeks, they couldn't go, quote, they couldn't go to church. That's a very loose and broad way of saying it. But the Jewish worshipers could no longer go and meet in the temple because Solomon's temple had been destroyed, they had been deported, and during that time, they made the provision so the law could still be taught, people could still pray together, they could still worship together, and sort of they licensed a new gathering point that actually started in homes, strangely enough. But they became the synagogues, the the sunago, if you will. That is the word used here. And let me tell you another thing. That is the word that's used to describe the function of the church. In Matthew 18. There's only two places where Jesus uses the word church. It's in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And normally I like to take a great deal of time and unpack all of that, but can I just leap to this conclusion? That in, in the second passage of Matthew 18, he talks about the power and authority of the church to come together in worship. At the close of it, he says, well, let me tell you what church is, wherever two or three are gathered. There's that word again, sonago, appears. Wherever, wherever you synagogue, beloved, I want to tell you this. Uh, I love, I, we're going to invent a new word for us here, I think around New Hope. That's synagoguing. Right now, you are synagoguing. You want to, can I just declare with really great joy what's been going on? I believe all of these things having been stripped away from culture, they're beginning to look, they're beginning to look for an answer, and the answer is synagoguing. The answer is the church of Jesus Christ. They're watching us. You want to know why? Because right now, people of God, children of God, followers of Christ, they too have lost jobs. They too are facing financial uncertainty. They too are running around trying to find out if there's uh, antiseptic and toilet paper. Uh, same, Same realities but they're watching the church. Let me tell you, the church rocks right now. The church is reaching out, they're touching, they're caring, they're giving, they're they're helping one another. And in that moment, I believe these people uh, that are finding themselves sort of on the side, they're saying, well, let me check this out. And all of a sudden, they're walking into that moment, that sort of synagoguing moment, where we've gathered. No, we can't come to this building right now, we will again. But you've gathered in your homes and you sit in front of this little screen and you gather together with a family that you know is out there right now. You know, as certainly as you know, God is present. You know, hey, my family's out there. We're in this moment together right now. We've got our own sort of synagoguing moment going on. You're typing in those lines right now, saying somebody's name. You're encouraging them, reaching out to them right now. And, And the world's going, wow. It's why I said this last week. I believe immediately in the shadow of this quarantine and this epidemic, pandemic that we are going through and will go through, that the church and culture is gonna have this very brief window of licensed uh, uh, approval and opportunity. And man, do I wanna use that moment. I don't wanna use that moment to win an argument. I don't wanna use that moment to outdo a next philosophy. I wanna use that moment to reach searching people who have said, wait a minute, I I have imposed a sense of loneliness on my own soul. I filled it with busyness. When I found it was stripped away, I found out that I felt, wow, sort of forsaken, but then I realized no one did it to me. I did it to myself. 
I filled a space in me. Oh, I, I can't stop. I know I've gone a little longer this morning, but many weeks ago I talked from John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says these words and he says, I want you to know there's a place in you, a uh, place in God for you, and there's a place in you for God. And as he goes through that chapter, he says, there's a place in God for you with your name on it, and I will never stop providing that and preserving that for you. And there's a place in you with my name on it, and I will never stop pursuing that. That ache of your soul this morning, that reality that you sense in your soul this morning, right now, that's stripping away everything else, and there's a space left there, and you're saying, man, I just feel sort of lonely and forsaken. No, that's that space crying out in the center of your soul, said, I've been held, I've been reserved for one person. I love that. I love that. It's been reserved and has somebody's name on it. You ever gone to a restaurant or a hotel and shown up and say, I have a room? Yes, sir, your name's right here. Here it is for you. It's like, wow, that worked out. I'm glad. You go to a, 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 a restaurant and there's a line outside, but you had a reservation in and, and you just sort of walked up. Is my reservation good? Yes, sir. There's a table right here with your name on it. Can I tell you the best feel good on the planet that you can feel right now? When the line of things that have been removed from your soul, that kept you busy, made you feel worth them, and all of a sudden now they're pulled away, and you realize, wow, what's going on? At the center of your soul, there's a reservation crying out. They're saying, this was reserved for one. This was reserved for one, and I'm holding open that reservation. I want to speak to two, people, two groups of people this morning. I want to speak, number one, to the family of God that if if somehow you're feeling that sense of loneliness or forsakenness, here's the deal. Reach out. Reach out. You might be watching this right now. All you got to do is just enter there. Send a message. Respond. Uh, hey, you know, I, I really need somebody to talk to you right now. We have prayer counselors and we have greeters right now watching this, uh, this live online, waiting to see if you respond, and they're going to send you a message and say, what can I do for you? Can I give you a phone call? Can I pray with you? See, we're doing the best we can to keep synagoguing. So if you're feeling that, now to the second group of, of people, or maybe just one, it says, you know, I, I, I didn't realize until you said it, Pastor Tom, that everything has sort of been stripped away, my job, my stuff, my busyness, all of it, and, and I'm, I, I've, I've been left to find a vacancy in my soul that I've tried to fill with everything else. But boy, it just appears to be that place with God's name on it. Now, we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Brenda to come up, my wife. And if you're watching for the first time, that's who this wonderful lady is. It's about to come up these steps right here. I'm going to ask her to pray with you because I'm going to step off, and then I'm going to pop up again immediately following, uh, immediately following this, uh, this, um, this live stream here. Well, actually, it'll still be live. And I'm gonna, we're going to switch the camera, and I'm going to join in with Pastor Matt and Pastor Steve. And we're just going to unpack some of this, answer questions, direct people to prayer. It's sort of an after-worship thing that I am so excited about. But, um, um, I, you know, I, uh, this, uh, this isn't the moment, but I need to say these two things. Remind them of of communion, drive-in communion, and here's something you don't know that I, a need I found out about this morning. Here's your entry fee for tomorrow night. There is no entry fee, by the way. But at the children's home, right here in our community, they are in need of the, a couple of items that you would think that everybody's looking for, uh, toilet paper and antibacterial soap. 
They also need some anti antiseptic spray. We've been able to provide that. We've sourced that out. You can't find these things. But here's what I want you to do. Go out on a mission. Before tomorrow night, uh, when we gather here uh, for drive-in communion outside, uh, grab that. Let, and let's drop them off just a, uh, a, a great big blessing of those items that they're not able to get. Again, it's for hundreds of kids there uh, that reside on the campus and, and, and the adult caregivers and whatnot. And so let's reach out, again, to New Hope, especially to New Hope. Run out and find those and, and bring them here, and hopefully we can have a mountain of, of wonderful things to bless them with. Um, I'm sorry, I, I imposed that on this moment. But I, I want you to turn, get, get your mind back in prayer. Um, Brenda's going to lead you in, in prayer right now, and I'm going to step off here and, and move over to that other camera and be ready to jump on as soon as she says amen. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You are not forsaken. You are not alone. God is faithful. Go ahead, sweetheart. Wherever you are, driving in your car, sitting in your home, would you just grab someone's hand? Maybe you're by yourself. And you say, I'm finding myself with all the busyness gone, gone feeling alone. I would like you to pray this prayer with me. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin or the leader of your tomorrows. I can tell you that you will, be, you will never be alone when you know him. He has promised to never forsake, never to abandon, never to go away. So I wanna pray with you right now. Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. He is the son of God. And I ask you right now, even if I don't understand it to be the forgiver of my sin, and the leader of my tomorrows. Be the Lord of my life. And God, I open my heart and ask that you would take away this loneliness and show me how to, as Pastor Tom said, synagogue together with other people, with the family of God, with others who know you. May this become more of a reality moment by moment and day by day. And Lord, we rejoice with those who've said yes to you right now. As a matter of fact, all of heaven rejoices, the Bible says, when one person comes to know Jesus Christ. So all of us watching online this morning, we rejoice in the, the knowing that you have come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And for all others who may be experiencing this loneliness, I just want to encourage you and I pray, Father, that by you, Holy Spirit, that you would take us to a place of understanding your word like never before, that there might be a knowing who you are and your purposes, knowing and experiencing the love of God like never before, and how important it is for us to not forsake our own assembling together, that we might be those who synagogue, whether it's online, whether we're Zooming, whether we're texting, whether we're calling, and God, may there be just this mighty revival in the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you for these moments. We thank you that in this moment, you are preparing us for the days and weeks ahead. We're never going back. We're moving forward. Things are not as they've always been, and we are not going back to a normal. We're going to find a new place of not normal in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.